So I hear the girls have been waiting for part two of the dark side of the 90s featuring episodes six through ten. And this is what I'm here to give, okay? I know I said I was going to upload about Wednesday, but I said what I said and I didn't mean that shit because obviously we're on Sunday. So I'm really like, I'm going to upload it when I feel better to upload it. I'm not about to give you all a half-assed episode. Like, I'm really not. So if I'm tired, I'm tired. That's just it. Like, if I'm tired, I'm tired. Real talk. So, I just wanted to give y'all this motherfucking intro because I heard that bitches like it when I do ASMR. This shit is making my throat scratch so bad. And my green tea is like all the way over there by my window. And I don't feel like getting it because y'all gonna hear all the movement. But fuck it, I guess. I guess y'all just gonna have to hear the movement. I know y'all heard every bit of that movement because I got my headphones in and I heard every bit of that movement. Loud ass bitch. The screen tea good as hell. Y'all hear the bottle closing? That's me topping on the bottle. It's funny because see, with ASMRs, you gotta see me doing what I'm doing. I don't wanna, I don't want y'all to see me. And there go my fucking mama with this tambourine. I know she fucking lying. I know she fucking lying. But it's Sunday. I don't stop my mama praise for no damn bunny. Not even for y'all. So if y'all hear a motherfucking tambourine in the background about to go the fuck down and praise, y'all just gonna hear that motherfucking tambourine go down and motherfucking praise. Because I'm not telling my mama to stop. That's my mama. She can do whatever the fuck she want to do. Anyway, I guess that's enough of this little prologue because I did too much. Anyway, let's get into part two of the dark side of the motherfucking 90s episode 6 through 10, bitch. So what's going on, everybody? Sister, where you been at? I was out making my thousands. <laughs> oh my God, watching the girls' videos. I'm like, no, bitch, you about to be 25. You better be out here this year. I have to be. I have no choice. I'm really about to live it up. I, uh, uh, I'm about to live this shit up. Anyway, welcome to another bonus episode or whatever. Today, we are going to be talking about... I can't even do that. I don't know how they do that every episode. Ugh. Just be chatting like, oh, today we're going to be talking about what happened with the only one that could do that. I can't think of her name right now, but the only one that could do that is the girl. You know which girl I'm talking about? The one that does um, her makeup and she talks about murder mysteries and sick families and stuff. Y'all, The real pretty one. Y'all know exactly who I'm talking about. That's the only one I'll tolerate that from. Everybody else, hey sisters. I, I can't even look at his ass. 
anyway so on today's episode we are going to be talking about well first of all welcome to another aos production what's it called what is it called you may ask the bonus series bitch anyway like i said we are going to be catching up on part two of the dark side of the 90s i've heard a lot of great feedback from part one and i'm glad y'all really enjoyed it i'm surprised like i was like really like good to know shout out to will um yeah i was like amazed to know what the fuck was going on because i'm like really 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 wow 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 interesting wow wow so um we're gonna do episode six so episode six was the baywatch slash body positivity slash invasion of privacy episode i said it like that because they did the main things was baywatch and um body positivity but as you all may know or if you're not really into it but if you're a good consumer of pop culture then you do know when i say baywatch tied in with invasion of privacy you should know i'm talking about pamela anderson and um what tommy lee tommy tommy i'm just trying to get his name who was she with tommy i know it's tommy that's how you know she was the star of that um really tommy lee yeah um that relationship more than him anyway i digress because girl pamela's a sweetie all right tommy oh i haven't heard shit from him he's a rocker you know what i'm not even gonna shade him like that because in the rock community they may put tommy on a pedestal more than pamela but for me i'm putting pamela at a higher caliber so for my bullet points i have it's a body positivity episode so literally how baywatch got created they got high on the beach real shit real rep like smoking a joint along the shore and they never thought of making a show about lifeguards saving lives on the beach until they got stoned on the beach <laughs> like imagine you rolling up right it's like late 80s we're about to enter the 90s yeah y'all gonna hear that too i don't care I might edit that out. I don't know. What was that? 343? I remember that. That way I could tell. My nose has been dripping like all fucking day. All day. I just had to get that because how my nose is, honey. Oh. How my nose is. Um, I'll use this envelope and my little furry rainbow pin. Shout out to Mom Dukes. Three forty-five, cause I know that's where it started. Okay, back to but like back again. So, um, stone on the beach, rolling up, you smoking with your friend, and you're seeing the lifeguards, and you're seeing them on duty, and you're seeing them saving lives and shit. And then you just thinking like, wait a minute, nobody's ever thought to make a show like this for real, really, 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 absolutely, really. So, that being said, the head of NBC thought that the show was better off than a movie, as a movie, rather rather than a show. And one thing I like about this show, or at least this docuseries, is that it shows you, and for all my creatives out there, 
what the higher ups like and think isn't always going to be a solid idea for your process. You know, I mean, the higher ups thought that Baywatch was literally better off as a movie rather than a show. I mean, we all know something similar to Baywatch, either the run, the bathing suits, Pamela, or David fucking Hasselhoff, okay? Um, so that being said, I mean, just don't let any higher ups, like, yeah, you, you deal with it at first to get your shot out there, to get your foot in the door, but after time proceeds and, you know, you just like have more faith in yourself you should know like hey maybe we should do it this way instead of the way you're saying so also the creators of the show i'm all sniffling and shit like that but i'm gonna give y'all something because i'm just i'm bored and i want to talk fuck it so the creators they fought to have their female cast members to be on the show since most of them were in playboy now back then of course y'all may know we fought as women we have fought and we have struggled to get to this point where sex is all right my however many men i slept with or how many ever times I've shown off my physique or my curves or my body or my areas should not define the type of women woman that I am and so we're going back 30 decades 30 decades three three decades 30 years (laughs) about Jesus Christ if we're going to go back 30 years Back then, if you did do Playboy and you were trying to transition into either TV and TV or and or film, it was kind of looked at with the side eye and not really looked at as a glorifying moment. It was more looked at like, oh, she's done Playboy. So a lot of just so you know, if you do your research on Baywatch, most if not almost every girl that came on that show has done some modeling for Playboy. Yes, yes. So, the co-creator of the show, his uncle was Sherwood Schwartz. Try saying that three times fast. Sherwood Schwartz, Sherwood Schwartz, Sherwood Schwartz. I know I didn't even say it. Let's try it again. Sherwood Schwartz, Sherwood Schwartz, Sherwood Schwartz. try saying that shit you know what here's a fun activity for you guys to do while you're listening to this say Sherwood Schwartz five times fast let me know what you come up with um and this is the same man who created Gilligan's Island and the Brady Bunch so if the man who literally created one of TV's most iconic not for us but a lot of people do know and a lot of people that are still here and on this earth today have grown up watching Gilligan's Island and the Brady Bunch, i.e. my parents, okay? For such a... Well, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to change what I said. For such an iconic period and such iconic shows that did have a good run and a long run on television when television started to officially become that when radio shows 
eventually started to produce television shows and films. Um, the After the movie didn't take off into a show, they basically asked the head of NBC, can we buy back our rights to it? Another note to all my creators. One man's trash is definitely another man's treasure. They, The creators of Baywatch bought their show from the NBC head for only $10. Let that sink in. They literally bought the rights back to their show for $10. Okay, so in the midst of this whole melee, in the midst of this whole melee, now you have to find television actors. So already in the TV movie that they did, uh, Panic Baywatch something. Panic Baywatch. Baywatch the movie, girl. Okay, so... (laughs) They needed to find casting. So the casting that they tried to find involved um, David Hasselhoff. David Hasselhoff was already in the movie. So they decided to keep him around for being the main character in the television show. And at that time, now they're getting word of this chick, Pamela um, Pamela Anderson. And Pamela Anderson, like I said, she's done Playboy. Hasselhoff did not want to have any more women on the show, any more women on the show that were in Playboy. He didn't want all his female castmates to just do Playboy. You know, kind of, you know. Okay, David. Um, however, once Pamela, so once Pamela got on the show, his um, opinion changed. Now, fun fact, Pamela Anderson, of course, like I said, Playboy, Hugh Hefner referenced her to the creators and um she missed her audition three times three times now she went to the fourth one and you know bubbly blonde pamela so as pamela is in the audition the directors say um oh well you have to try on the swimsuit and she's like oh no that's fine that's okay so she starts taking off her clothes she already had her swimsuit underneath so she came prepared and that was it and she had the role now fun fact also david hasselhoff was a big singer like germany fucking loves him like that little scene in um in dodgeball a true underdog story with vince vaughn and um uh ben stiller that's the name and um that that little dodgeball group that like was upset it was german it was a german dodgeball group and they were obsessed with david hasselhoff that wasn't a stretch like david was really selling out shows in europe like real talk that's me scratching my head because i just i I can't believe it y'all anyway so once pamela anderson got the role and once she got her role Breast argumentations went up by like 500% between girls from ages 19 to mid-30s. So everybody was getting a tits done, girl. Everybody was getting a tits up. 
Um, so this is when the episode changes into body positivity in a way, but it still talks about Baywatch because when you think of the show Baywatch, you're seeing fit, lean lifeguards, big, big, big boobs. Jesus, you know, big boobs, fit bodies. And for that time, that was like how you wanted to look. So then, you know, seeing that on television, I could only imagine how insecure people might feel. I mean, sidebar, when I was younger and I saw the video girls and I was definitely not a size three, I definitely wasn't a 127, I wasn't even a 137. I was a middle school, I go by middle school height because I don't remember my childhood height. I know my childhood height, I was at least 130, but I was tall for my age. But once I got to middle school, I was a good 160, 170. Yeah, I just kept growing, kept growing. Anyway, so um, once Pam, once the show did good after some seasons, or after I think the second season, it was the first billion viewer show, according to TV Guide. And um, all thanks to the help of Pamela and the other girls who were casted, because like I said, those times you wanted to just see bitches in bikinis you didn't want to hear what they got to say especially at that time if you did playboy oh girl just run (laughs) as sad as it is it is the truth so in 1994 that is when pamela got her second breast job and she shows it off in her second playboy shoot now at this time pamela she wasn't getting like jeopardized or nothing. It's like, oh, you did. Oh, you're doing another Playboy shoot. Okay, well, we start shooting at four, so just make sure you're here. That was it. Like they didn't care. Okay. Now, um, just a lot of breast jobs. It wasn't the B. This is way before the BBL era. Way before the BBL era. So back then, all women wanted to do was just get their boobs and get lipo. That was it. That was it. Now, the two looks in the 90s, this is what they said, and I quote, were heroin chic and Baywatch slash Victoria's Secret models. So to define heroin chic, I'll define that more in episode nine with the model episode, but just to give you a, I mean, it's self-explanatory. Heroin chic is basically like, you're so skinny, you're very small, to a point that you look like you be shooting up, doping up. Versus where the Baywatch and Victoria's Secret models, but you're cute, heroin chic. You're cute, but you're very skinny and you look like you do drugs. But you're cute. Now, Baywatch Victoria's Secret models, fit, lean, still small, but you were fit and lean and you had to have the breasts, honey. You couldn't just come on camera with small boobs. I mean, what are those? back then I love my I love my breasts oh my god I loved them when they were smaller reason why I say that is because my birth control like swelled them up swear to god they were not they weren't this <laughs> I asked my bubby now I'm like were they he's like no I'm like yeah I thought so because um exactly um so around this time This is when Tommy and Pamela meet. 
Now, apparently, Pamela Anderson had a club like many celebrities in the 90s. Johnny Depp with the Viper Room, Pamela Anderson with her club. So she owned a nightclub and she saw Tommy Lee and Pamela. They're at the bar and Pamela sends over a drink to him. And then Tommy brings back a bottle of champagne. And then according to the creator of the show to what happened, Tommy thus walks over to Pamela and, you know, licks her face. First of all, anybody looks my face, you're getting smacked and mushed and your head is getting freaking pounded on the damn bar. Don't touch my face. But we're in Corona times. We're in COVID times. Wait a minute. Was bitches still sucking cucumbers at the club during Corona? Or was that right before Corona? <laughs> Coronavirus. Shit, now we just call it COVID-19. Damn, we've really been in this pandemic for a lip. All right. Um, but yeah, you know, we was doing some wild shit. We needed, you know what? We needed to calm down. Granted, I don't want to, the only reason why I don't want to be in this pandemic is because I, I want to travel outside the country, but I'm not doing that shit now until everything is lifted. Like everything is good. I'm not doing that shit now. No, no. But back then, I mean, y'all, we was trippy. You had bitches literally sucking fucking cucumber dicks. Right after one another. Right after one another. Getting fucked with them, too, in strip clubs. Yes, yes. You remember, you remember. So back to these uh, two toxic motherfuckers. So, um... You know, Tommy, very protective, very overprotective of Pamela. They moved very fast. They got married. They had a child together. It was a very quick love. And, you know, eventually, this is what started the invasion of privacy with celebrities amongst the industry because Tammy, Tammy, well, Pamela and Tommy, they decided to do a little sex tape in the privacy of their home and on their yacht and on their boat, what have you. And it gets into the wrong hands. And the people that uploaded it actually weren't supposed to see it, but they wanted to figure out a way, well, how can we profit off of this without it tying back to us? So thus, sex tapes online became a thing. And once that happened that's when their sex tape that's when their privacy was invaded you know pamela now granted pamela anderson being and portraying who she did on the show and who she does portray in movies and and tv or what have you she's a very sweet girl as she's a very sweet girl you know it's just it backfired on her so eventually after that sex tape her privacy was invaded Her and Tommy's relationship was very toxic. I mean, if there was a kissing scene she had to do on the show, he would um, tear up her dressing room or trailer and just leave. He was very jealous, very, very, you know, that toxic shit. Um, But eventually they divorced later on. Um, It becomes an international sensation. And after her sex tape leaked, her salary went from $4,000 an episode to $40,000 in her last season. So, bitch, honey was getting paid. Honey was getting paid. All right. And Jeremy. The, so there's this little boy. Child actor. Child star. His name is Jeremy. 
And like I said in the bullet points, he went through the motions of being a child star, but came out on top and has been clean since like 2015. So when I say going through the motions, as you may know, the history of child stars, some of them, they either get drugged out. Some of them, they either, you know, get molested or touched inappropriately. Some of them, Tasia. Some of them get touched, some of them get drugged out, some of them get sexed out, unfortunately. He went through the motions of it, and being on a show like Baywatch and you're coming of age, so you're going through your teenage years, you don't have the perfect skin like David or any of your male counterparts do on the show, but you have to be this type of physique and have this type of physique and everything like that, so there's that. Um, And after some time, once he turned 18, he really just didn't want to do the show anymore, and so he turned to drugs drugs and alcohol and honestly today he looks very good he looks very much healthy you know and then a stint before i even go into how healthy he looks he was doing steroids so like i said you go through the motions of a childhood star so to any of my friends who are parents and you want your kids to be a star just just take precaution take precaution if you're going to be and 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 i will say with a lot of parents who are parents to childhood stars, or at least who were, because their child start like because their child is no longer here, I will say that. With that being said, just take precaution, because back then they just said, "All right, I want my kid to be a star. Go ahead," without realizing the trauma and trials and tribulations that they would have to face as an adult in the industry. Like, think about it. We never heard shit about Shirley Temple because Shirley Temple... Shirley Temple was only in one abusive relationship. And that's when she was in her early 20s. After that, we never heard nothing bad about her. You never heard nothing bad about her. See? Because look, you got your Shirley... I'm going to give you a perfect example. You got your Shirley Temples, but then you have your Judy Garland's. Okay, Judy Garland is Dorothy from the original Wizard of Oz with... um. Uh, 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 LB Mayer Studios, um, MGM, excuse me, MGM. And, um, you look at Shirley, Shirley Temple lived a good life. She transferred into politics after her child career was, you know, over with. Transferred to politics, she lived a long living life. She died of, I think, breast cancer in her 80s. Versus where you look at Judy. And it's all ties to Jeremy, by the way, because he was a child star. I'm just giving you, like, A and then B. And then with Judy Garland, her story is just so tragic. I mean, they kept giving her pills. So if she had to lose weight, diet pills. If she had to be up for an audition, they gave her up pills. If she had to calm down so she could get to the studio the next day, they gave her downers. So automatically, from a young age, bald Billy into an actress, she was up and down. You know, so they had to give her pills. And then it was really just pills. It it, it was so much pills. Her mother just wanted her to act and sing. She didn't feel a lot of love from men. Her father passed away when she first started out in Hollywood. So her father wasn't there for her in her teen years where she needed him most. And um, eventually she took her own life in 1969. I think Judy was at least in her 40s 40s it wasn't her 60s i don't think 
But let me see. I don't, it wasn't her 60s, no. No, no, no. No. Mm. Yeah, so she died late 40s at that. She died um at 47 unfortunately but it's just a cautionary tale he's a bit like i said jeremy's clean he's no longer on drugs he's very clean he looks very good if you guys want to look at it watch the video um and again they bought back the show for 10 freaking dollars it became the first billion viewer show like everybody from all over the world was watching it and they got their show back for ten dollars not ten thousand dollars Greg borrowed $10,000. He borrowed only 10, child. Because that's how much they bought the show back. Alright, so this first segment took like almost 30 minutes. Excuse me. So like almost 30 minutes. So the next episode, we're going to be talking about <laughs> cults. We're going to talk about cults, you guys. I'm going to try my best. I don't really fuck with the cults like that, but we're going to talk about them, girl. All right. So, the two cults, you have the outer beings i call them this the outer beings and waco now in my first bullet point i'm a mess in in my first bullet point i literally said one has a shootout the other is ready to leave earth true shit like that's the synopsis of these cults um now the waco branch was called the Davidians, after named after David Koresh. Um, I'm gonna just go over the bullet points. Then I'm gonna go throughout, you know, how the episode went. On February 28th, 1993, the Waco shooting happens, and when I say shooting, I mean bitch shoot out. Oh, like it's on film. I will say that the showing of. Waco is real like oh shit bitch bitch no way like they was really do 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 like yeah um and the Waco standoff lasts for 51 days by diving a tank straight through the compound and after they drove by driving excuse me and after they drove that tank through the compound it caught on fire and multiple women men and children were killed so, and and Heaven's Gate, on the other hand, made their money by knowing how to make websites. That's why they were able to live such a lavish lifestyle in the mansion. However, that lavish lifestyle was not for long because Heaven's Gate eventually did a group suicide, whether it was poisoned or smothered with a plastic bag. Now, with Waco, I saw the Waco documentary. And I'm probably just going to do Heaven's Gate first because Heaven's Gate, I know nothing about until I saw this documentary. And I think the only reason why they were mentioned, excuse me, 
the only reason that they were even mentioned in this documentary, how I see it, is because of the simple fact that they were, they died literally 2000, like a few days after the new year, they were pronounced dead because you know more about Waco than you do about Heaven's Gate. I never even heard of Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate was ran by this really weird white guy. And this white guy just, you know, we're, we're from a higher power. We're, we're outer beings. We, this is just our, our shell. Our souls will ascend and we will be saved. What both of the groups have in common is that they took revelations, the chapter of revelations in the Bible, to the next level of their own mindset, if that makes sense. So, um, also they castrated people. They didn't have sex. They castrated people. And as they castrated people, it was literally the will of the coin. So heads meant you getting your head cut off. <laughs> and um, tails meant, nah, you're not worthy enough. So one of the dudes that was there in the interview... He got tails and he wasn't worthy enough to get castrated, you know, and he's still alive. But um, this family had their sister, well, this man's sister and her grandmother were there at the interview. And this is her last time going to talk about it, which I understood because she's been talking about it for years. And she just did not understand. Now, his parent, his grandparents, the brother, that wasn't in the cult, they would take him to these cult uh, conventions. So, like, if he wanted to know how to start one or if he wanted to know how to see if a person's in a cult, boom, you know, you find, here's how you know. And they figured that his sister was in a cult. They knew that because of what she was saying, how she was speaking. It was like, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. But eventually they all succumb to their deaths and either they poison themselves or they put a plastic bag over their head and put the pillow on top and then boom. Um, speaking of cults, there's a fun fact. They're going to be making a movie about Jim Jones, not Jim Jones from Dipset, but Jim Jones, like don't drink the Kool-Aid Jim Jones, old dude that was in Guyana a white man who was uh, in Guyana, and it was literally the mass, I call it a genocide, because, man, they all drunk that Kool-Aid, and they dropped, oh my god, it's like, it's pictures of that on the website, look up Jim Jones Kool-Aid, or Jim Jones Colt, they're making a movie about it, it's said that Leonardo DiCaprio will be playing Jim Jones, interesting there's still survivors from that but they were children when that happened so it's just upsetting that this happened in a beautiful place like Guyana and that they let this white man do this but cults are very easily to brainwash you ain't gonna brainwash me I'll walk off you ain't gonna do shit to me partner I'm sorry you ain't gonna do a motherfucking thing to me You ain't gonna do shit to me. Anyway, so that's what happened with um the fucking outer being, Heaven's Gate. At the I'm like, what? Oh, 
So that's what happened with the outer beings. Now, Waco, I know more about. Like I said, with Heaven's Gate, it was like, okay, y'all thought y'all was, okay, aliens, okay? It was a whole lot. I'm just like, what? Now with Waco, 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 Waco. Like I said, it was called the Devi, uh, Devi, Davidians, I'm sorry. I was about to say the Debbies. <laughs> called the Davidians and it was created by David Koresh now the reason why David Koresh is is rotting in hell not only for the cult but how the cult was ran like I said you know how Heaven's Gate wasn't ran by sex well the Davidians was ran by sex now the problem is is that only David could have sex with the women No other man, even if you were a husband and wife and you brought yourselves to this cult and David was just like, well, I want to create and procreate, you know, with your wife, you had to let him, you know, either you just did, but yeah. And also it has been proven that some of the girls that he had relations with, they were in fact underage. So this grown man is not only having sex with husbands wives in front of their faces but he's also molesting and statutory raping even if it was quote unquote consensual they were still underage he's still having sex with underage girls now that being said with Waco the reason why ATF and the DEA wanted to find out about them because they had a lot of guns They had a lot of guns, but they've always talked about how it would be a shootout, literally how they would have to defend themselves from the devil's powers that be just in case. So they had all those guns. So when ATF came, they was ready. And that was like their prophecy had been confirmed. Now, the sad thing was that there was a standoff, and it lasted 451 days. All David had to do was just surrender. Was he going to? No, because he was their leader. He got shot as well. He ended up getting shot as well. And as he was getting shot, as he ended up getting shot, or what have you, um, still being hard-headed leader, okay? Now, the end of this was, like I said, they rammed the tank through the compound and the compound eventually started to catch on fire. Now, I say now a lot. And now, 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 the actual standoff lasted from February 28th since the shootout and ended April 19th, 1993. And it was a tragedy because of how many children and women were killed, you know, in that burning of the compound. It was 76 people in total. 76. 76. 76. 76. Women and children. Now trying to I'm just trying to find more like how many
Ugh. Yeah, 80, like nearly. It was 76 people, but nearly 80 people were killed. This included two pregnant women. This had included almost all of David's children. This had included um, David's quote unquote wives. This included a lot of innocent lives that were taken. And I'm not saying innocent on the adults part because the women kind of, it was sad that they had to go like that, but you bringing people to this man knowing damn well after he's done with you, he's about to have sex with another underage girl. So, but the children did lose their lives. So unfortunate about that. And if you really, they have documentaries on both of them. If you really, you know, want to know about them, look them up. Really sad. Extremely sad. Really, really sad. Like, really, really, really sad. That, that's all I could say just about. Now, the next one, my children, is a very well-known, well-known, well-known. <laughs> I'm only breathing like this because we know about this course episode eight they did east coast versus west so we already know the outcomes of who died from the west who died from the east two hip-hop pioneers biggie smalls and tupac we know this we also know that it wasn't them they were just used in the crossfire but the real beef was routine between behind the scenes which i personally believe puffy should have got that bullet shook should have got that bullet it is what it is, but you know, one's the bottom, one's gonna be on top. Anyway, so the bullet points I have are the main people we lost, who were lost in this world. I'm gonna go through this one because we know it. I will point out, I did put on um, bullet points that were interesting to me, but yeah, so the main people who were lost in this world was Tupac and Notorious B.I.G., like I said. Source Magazine, which I never knew, was created by two Jewish boys, Go Figure, that loved hip-hop. I only say Go Figure because how many how many magazines and how many things do you know that's hip-hop that was created by Jewish boys, white boys, in the industry? Hip-hop is universal, but, you know, at the same time, it's not just, you know, for... It's for us. We created it. But, you know, in order for it to get to the other side, you got to have your allies. So there's that. So after the Source Magazine got big, that's when Vibe Magazine dropped. Now, Source Magazine came out in the late 80s. In the late 80s, early 90s. So... Like I said, there were two there were two Jewish boys, they were college students, and they loved hip-hop. So what they would do, they would have it start off as like a one sheet, you know, like a little bulletin, and then it became a little two, three pager, and then that's when it became a full-blown magazine. Now with the source, the source was definitely a way to find out new hip-hop to figure out who was hot, who was not. If the source, if they gave you five mics, that like you yeah you're, you're that versus where if the source were to give you three two you need some work 
before you wanted something. You know, they they rated you by Mike. So that being said, um, that's how they were able to get more attention, you know, because people's like, well, my stuff is how my stuff is this, my stuff is this, my stuff is this. Um the Source Awards first award show was in 95. Source Awards was real, real hip-hop, if you think about it, before it became what it is now. Um, the Source Awards, it was just rugged. Like, looking at clips of it, that shit was real, real, like, like, rugged, like, like, <laughs> because hip-hop back then was real, like, now, people see, people do see hip-hop and certain rap artists as a joke, but it's like, when you look at hip-hop back then it was really like a pariah like i don't want my children listening to this i'm like the worst he said was i'll literally what did he say biggie said some such shit but he's all he said was you look so good i'll suck on your daddy's dick i mean still and still and still and then even Tupac talking about Brenda's got a baby is real shit. It was real shit at that time. And parents did not want their kids to listen to it. And it's funny because he used the name Brenda. I'm like, Brenda could be useful. Your white ass daughter. Brenda got a baby, girl. Vanessa, Brenda's pregnant. You need to handle that. So back to what I was saying. Back then, hip hop was real rugged at the Source Awards. You had Bill Bellamy's little ass saying how he went to the Source Awards. The Sticky Fingers from... The group Onyx, he had a real loaded gun and he shot it up in the air and the glass was falling from the um, lights or whatever. And that's when he was like, oh shit, like hip hop was real gangster back then. Now, in 1993, Bad Boy Records makes its debut in the music industry and New York was and is considered the mecca of hip hop, but the West Coast was not playing that. Now, New York was, this is my bullet points. New York was not playing West Coast artists, thus causing a little animosity with West Coast rappers. Like I said, when you are the mecca of a soon-to-be global phenomenon, you claim that shit. You claim it. Like, no matter how many people say, oh, oh well, hip-hop came from hip-hop is, hip-hop really started, hip-hop became lit when truth is truth and facts are facts. And if I'm right, I'm right hip-hop came from the Bronx <laughs> 1973 period literally from a back from a back to school party that's when hip-hop started even if you ask West Coast artists who were coming out early 90s late 80s they were still listening to funk they were still listening to Bootsy Collins they were still listening to Parliament. They were still listening to Funkadelic. They were still listening to James Brown, shit like that. They had their little workout music and shit like. They were still listening to fucking that. So, you know, hip hop comes and they make it their own and they make G Funk, which I like. I do like G Funk. G Funk's high. If I'm if I'm cruising, really it. But if I want to get like. Rugged, I'm playing some West, uh, some East Coast shit. Excuse me. Unless it's Pox, hit him up. So I fucked your bitch, you fat motherfucker. Jam, bitch. Anyway, I digress. So 
I literally put in my notes, then here comes Marion Suge Knight starting his record label with Death Row. And then Quincy Jones starts to buy a magazine, but he wanted to buy out the source for 600000 And some of the workers that were there at source was considering the buy-off, but it's just like, no, why would I want, what? What? Now, back to the 1995 Source Awards. Now, the 1995 Source Awards, for those who can't recall or those who just need a refresher or those who just don't know, the 1995 Source Awards, to me, is what started the bullshit. Okay, yeah, the the East Coast ain't playing the West Coast like that. Like, what's up with that? Show us some love. Da, da, da. I get that. But when Suge, when a man named Marion got up on that stage and, you know, came at Diddy the way he came at Diddy, that's what was like, on some real, like, that little retracto head, like, what the fuck is you talking about? Like, real, like, that's how you coming? Seriously? So, as he came like that, so it is written. Um, after that, that whole night was just animosity packed. I mean, like I said, Tupac and Big were pawns. Now, no, around this time, Pac was in jail. Tupac was in jail. So, none of this, as he was in jail, all this shit was going down. Also, when he was in jail, Who Shot You came out. And of course, which I understand how Pac is coming from. Biggie didn't set him up, but how I see it, how Pac was coming, I'm in jail. You putting out a song, Who Shot You? Like I said, and before I even get on that, if I looked at, um, ugh, What's my favorite? It's on Netflix, y'all. I'm sorry. It's a, it's a docu-series on hip-hop, and I love it so much. Damn, that's a long-ass episode. My God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm looking at the goddamn. I'm like, what the fuck? It's already 20 minutes. Hip-hop evolution. So, even I see, when I was looking at hip-hop evolution on Netflix, they even said, like... The producer wanted to put out Who Shot You. Not Big. Big made Who Shot You way before Tupac got shot. But because of the timing, Big put out Who Shot You. And then after that, Tupac was like, fuck that. That's why I fucked your bitch. And Tupac was uh, bringing out hit after hit after hit after hit, you know? So, of course, like I said, it wasn't the two main, the two main people that weren't saying too much were the ones who got their lives taken so soon because you had Vibe Magazine, you had Source Magazine, those iconic hip hop covers, you know, especially when Vibe Magazine was dropping the Death Row, the iconic Death Row um, cover with uh, Marion, Pac. Snoop, Dre, all in their black turtlenecks and gold chains. I mean, that shit right there was like, oh, word. Then you had the Biggie and Puffy cover, you know? So, a lot of things fueled up that beef. A A lot of things fueled it up. I mean, we all know the outcome of it. Personally, that's when hip... That's when, to me, hip hop became 
more it cal- it calmed down after that. After that, people was like, let's party. People was on some real shit, like, yo, let's party. And if we gonna do gangster rap, let's at least make it club bangers gangster rap. Like, we wanted to be on some, like, you know, like 50 Cent in the club. We want some Murder Inc. type thing. Pause. We want something like that versus where if they, I don't want people to start fighting and boxing. Because, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, that, and a third. That's what I don't want. Is what I'm trying to say. So, we all know the outcome. Um, A lot of rappers did say that Vibe magazine should have got shot. Method Man exactly said that. Because Vibe, Quincy... And, of course, if y'all don't know, Quincy's oldest daughter, Kidada, she was the fiancé to Tupac. So by default, Quincy's like, well, shit, I know whose side I'm on because my daughter's like literally engaged to the guy who's like, who is death row. Once Pac died, once Big died, once Dre left, it was like, I, I, seriously. Um, so yeah, that was the real, that was episode seven and eight. This mic picks up everything. I swear it does. Because I'm like, what the fuck is that? What the fuck is that? Oh my God. What is that? All right. But now we're going to talk about the last two episodes, which is going to be the supermodel era and internet 1.0 Y2K, baby. And we are back with the final installment of this episode, which are the last two episodes in the docuseries, and we finally made it, you guys. So, I'm going to be talking about episodes 9 and 10. First up is episode 9, the supermodel era. Let's go with it, honey. Okay. (laughs) Now, the supermodel era, and all the reasons why it's no longer going to be that ever again is because the supermodels, hint, supermodel, the supermodel era is something that the girls just brought to the runway. What they brought was something that none of these other girls can spring because they are not it or that. They are just models. The it girls of the supermodel era, era, <laughs> were Naomi Campbell, Linda Evangelista, Tatiana Patiz, Christy Tellington, and Cindy Crawford. So in 1990, Vogue magazine released the cover with these models that I just named. And they they were the it girls. Like, a lot of reasons why supermodels today aren't making that much noise is because if you are, i.e., a supermodel, companies do not want to... The, back then with supermodels, excuse me, I'm not even going to say what I was about to say. Back then with supermodels, the girls made the clothes noticeable. Hint. Naomi could wear a burlap sack and Linda Evangelista could literally wear tinfoil and they will make that pop. 
you wouldn't even know the burlap sack was Christian or that the damn tinfoil was, um, freaking, um, Balmain. You wouldn't know. But you would just look at them. That is what a supermodel is. Okay. Um, so a little bit more on the dark end. The modeling industry included sexually abused models as young as 15. Now, I understand we just transitioned very hard. Extremely hard. But this episode talks about the supermodel era in a sense of it being like, look, it may have looked all glitz and glamour, but it was not. As you can see now that we have Tyra reaping what she sowed. Like I say, nobody deserves what comes to them, but you've earned it in some way or somehow. I'll repeat that for y'all. Nobody deserves Nobody deserves what comes to them, whether it may be slaughter, pain, heartache, or just bad karma. However, you earned that shit for what you did to others. You earned that shit. You earned it. You earned it, bitch. I digress. So, that was for Tyra, Miss Banks. Um... Uh, excuse me but back then before we even had reality tv before we had the me too movement a lot of these girls were getting inappropriately touched a lot of these girls were stuck between a rock and a hard place with if you do not sleep with me you will not work and you will not book any shows or be on the cover of anything unfortunately the girls had to sell themselves short because they wanted their dreams to come true and so thus being they had to set they had to Give them what they got, which is which is sad. Um, a few bullet points I have. There were only Ford and John Casablanca's agencies at the time. Now, the documentary said this, but then I'm like, um, Wilhelmina? No? No to Wilhelmina. So we're not gonna talk about Wilhelmina. But we're gonna talk about Ford and Casablanca's. Girl, Wilhelmina was around too, but... The, the point is that they were making was Ford was the girls next door and John Casablanca's agency was the party girls. All right. Now, remember these names, John Casablanca's, Gerald Marie, and Jean-Luc Brunel. Jean-Luc Brunel? Yes, remember those names. So, Elite Modeling Agency where Gerald Marie was in charge of Elite, of course, and thus, he married Linda Evangelista. Now, what I want to know, nobody said anything. They didn't say, I don't, but then again, I don't think she knew. I want to know, did Linda know that her husband were, was doing this? Or did she not know? And did he keep that from her? Or, and I know I looked at other documentaries. I couldn't look at the one with um, 60 Minutes because the, what what those models went through with him was just really really traumatizing and I just couldn't listen to it right then and there but what I will ask is what I will say is that the girls themselves they did not want to tell Linda meaning the younger models did not want to approach Linda and say your husband has been inappropriately messing with us sexually harassing us 
and going to the further extent of raping us. But the girls didn't want to tell her. I would have been a Linda girl. Do you know what he does? Do you do you know your husband? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going over the bullet points. Um, modeling competitions, launching careers for girls at, as young as 14. Um, John Luke Brunel was literally named the model agent Playboy. And I called him a predator. That's what he was. Um, so I'm gonna I'm stop right there because, like I said, the supermodel era, the girls were in videos. You had Naomi Campbell in the closet. You had Tyra as well as Linda and, um, um, oh, Michael, not Jackson. Oh, uh, oh, uh, oh, uh, Michael, George Michael, excuse me, because I love him. I'm like, what's his name? And George Michael's video. Um, so these girls, like Linda Evangelista said, I'm not going to get out of bed for a gig unless it's more, It's unless it's 10,000 Gs, like 10 Gs or more. So with that being said, um, the girls want, that wanted to get into the industry, they had a lot of, you know, a lot of a hard, they just had a hard time summing it up into summing it up was like literally how it is or how it not is but how it was before the me too movement in the modeling industry if you wanted to get this role if you wanted to get this cover if you wanted to get this show you know what you have to do very upsetting and traumatizing for the young girls who are the same ages as my nieces and my cousins younger than me that they had to go through that at those ages okay so um there was a girl on there very beautiful she's a french model and one thing i never understood and this is why i said in my previous segment with child stars you know a precautionary tale I don't understand. I understand now completely why Tyra Banks' mother went with her to Paris. I understand why Tyra's mother went with her anywhere she did have a modeling gig before she could get on her own two feet and be like, oh, well, you know, I never, you know, and state her claim. Because this girl, the French girl that was in uh, the series, this is about John Luke. So John Luke not only once but two times in the late 80s it was a 60 minute segment and they literally had to distort her voice and darken her face with you know the lighting because she admitted that he had raped her come again out a few years later you know girls are still coming out saying john luke raped me and it just gets swept under the rug no this is all before the me too movement the me too movement just did not happen i was in college living life at this time i knew about it but at the same time i was just like okay but now that i'm like now that we're accepting of each other's bodies as women and now that we are taking and holding men accountable that have actually missed inappropriately touched and just gave misguidance to the girls and everything and just was raping and 
abusing and sexually harassing them and finally got their just desserts. Like I said, well, you know what? That don't even count for them shit. You rape a little girl, you deserve everything that's coming to you, child. You deserve, even if you are sick in the head, you've earned that shit somehow. You may not have seen it, but um, somebody in the higher ups think you earned it. Anyway, um, so she came out and she was just saying how, now with a lot of agencies, Especially the male ones with John Casa, with um John Casablanca, Gerald Marie, and John Luke, you could live with them in their home. You could live with them. Hence why I look at it now and I'm just like, ew. <laughs> you let these little girls live with these grown ass men. No older than 16. 17. And they're living with these grown men. 18, 19, still, you're living with these grown men. Um, And the girl, the second girl who came out and told her story, she said that John Luke gave her a drink, roofied her drink, basically. And she said, I need to lie down. And he's like, you can lay down on the bed. And the next thing you know, she wakes up and he's on top of her. And it, it is, it is really sad. Now, at this time, a lot of people behind the scenes were really trying to bring these model, these um, men down because it's like, look what you're doing to them. It shouldn't be. And at the end of the video, at the end of the episode, which I did appreciate her saying was you don't as a model, you don't have to be sexy. Not. No, excuse me. Excuse me. Sorry. That's not what she said. Misquoted. I'll edit that out. What she said at the end of the interview, at the end of the episode was, as a model, just because you're sexy does not mean you have to give up, like, give sex. Plain and simple, and what she's right about. What she is absolutely right about. So, years later, oh, excuse me, excuse me. Years later, as the the supermodel era had calmed down, and now you have um, by '96, this is my bullet points. By '96, the March of the Wand Blondes was anything that attracted attention to the industry. Attracted attention, the industry did not like. So they wanted the attention to be put back on them, meaning that if I'm a supermodel if I'm Naomi like I said in the beginning of this episode if I'm Naomi Camp Naomi Campbell and I'm doing my signature iconic legendary Naomi Campbell walk are you really looking at what I'm wearing or are you just looking at Naomi bitch you looking at Naomi you're not looking at what I'm wearing I could wear anything and make it work now at this time with Kate Moss and her generation they produced heroin chic, glamorized this drug instead of bringing attention to it. And this is what they said. To a point, like I said, Kate Moss, she's very small. She was doing heroin, of course, but she was very small. She's very bony. You notice the structure of her bones. You've seen them. And she just was... <sighs> you know, everybody had to have... At this time, by 96, the fashion industry lost its flavor. 
Because think about it. You didn't see the supermodels on the cover of Vogue anymore. You didn't see the supermodels on the cover of Vogue. You saw um, Jessica, um, Jessica Parker. You saw Anne Hathaway. You saw all the actresses, all of Hollywood's starlets. You saw, you know, you didn't see the models on front of the cover anymore. Now, back to these predators. So, in 1999, a BBC documentary of Gerald Marie behaving like a pig. And when I say pig, he's approaching the models in a very harassment, a very abuse, a very predatory way. Like, he literally said on camera, you know, if, you know, I would like to throw you on the table and just do certain things to you. And that makes you feel uncomfortable. Like, bitch, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Like, a what? Are you fucking serious right now? And then in 2020, John Luke Brunel arrested for sending girls to Epstein. Come on, guys. I mean, like I said, like I said, when it comes to these men, when it comes to these men, and these men are literally doing their dirt once the me too movement had started which it really started back in 06 and the vice documentary does give credit to who it started from a black woman not fucking Alyssa milano um once the movement had started and not only did uh, what's this, uh weinstein get caught and not only did epstein granted epstein may not be alive but whatever Epstein left as hints has really got everybody. I mean, John Luke Brunel is arrested. A lot of women have come up to the account of John Casablanca's. A lot of people have started to say things about, um, not even say things, the proof of, excuse me, Prince William. No. Now, William, no, Andrew? Yes, Prince Andrew, the Duke of York. I said it, yeah. Prince Andrew, excuse me. Um, so with Prince Andrew, honey, if you've seen the Epstein documentary like I have, he's caught, like it's on camera. And and a lot of people was like, well, you could clearly, he, he was trying to deny saying it was Photoshop. I'm like, if it's hard copy, like on film, and there's multiple witnesses saying what you did to that teenage girl, honey, it's on candid camera. Girl, it's out here. To a point where B Prince Andrew had to strip his titles because mummy told him to. Crazy. So that was the, the supermodel era was like a little fun thing to watch. It was fun, it was cute. But at the same time, it was also another cautionary tale. Like, if you're willing to do this for your child, just just be prepared, you know? I digress. So, the next episode was titled Internet 1.0 Y2K. And it's basically about the dot-com bubble. Now, as I was watching the documentary, I'm like, the dot-com bubble? 
huh like i said i'm 97 when the dot-com bubble started i was negative two years old um in 95 i was not even thought of yet i was still swimming so thus i'm born and thus the dot-com bubble you know y2k 2000 everybody thought something was gonna happen to the world nothing fucking happened we're still here oh i don't know for how long though but we're still here um but yes so it included basically a lot of businesses wanted to put their things online but not a lot of them survived after that because they invested so much in um they invested so much in commercializing it and getting their point out there that no money was coming into the business so to explain the dot-com bubble was a rapid rise in u.s technology stock equity valuation valuations fueled by investment in internet-based companies during the bull market in the late 1990s the value of equity markets grew exponentially during this period with the technology dominated nasdaq index rising from under 1,000 to more than 5,000 between the years 95 and 2000. Things started to change and the bubble burst between 2001 and 2002 with equities entering a bear market. So key takeaways. The dot-com bubble was a rapid rise in U.S. technology stock equity valuations fueled by investments in internet-based companies in the late 1990s. The value of equity markets grew exponentially during the dot-com bubble with the NASDAQ rising from 1,000 to more than 5,000 between 95 and 2,000. Equities into the bear market after the bubble burst in 2001. The NASDAQ, which rose five-fold between 95 and 2,000, saw an almost 77% drop, resulting in a loss of billions of dollars. And the bubble also caused several internet companies to go bust. So, at the time when the dot-com bubble had happened, meaning a lot of companies were getting their bread honey like uh, the nerds the nerds which i love them i love my computer nerds i love y'all so much they was getting money they they, their stocks were high and they were living life but the thing is when your stocks are high you have to keep them high so let's see let me see. So how the dot-com bubble burst. This is basically all about the episode. I'm just reading. Just to sum it up easier. I'm just reading. It was, it was a cool episode though. The bubble that formed over the next five years was fed by cheap money, easy capital, marker, market overconfidence, and pure speculation. Venture capitalists anxious to find the next big score freely invested in any company with the dot-com after its name. Valuations were based on earnings and profits that would not occur for several years if the business model actually worked and investors were all too willing to overlook traditional fundamentals. The Nasdaq index peaked on March 10, 2000 at 5048, nearly double over the prior <laughs> 5148, <laughs> nearly double over the prior year. <laughs> Several of the leading high-tech companies such as Dell and Cisco placed huge sell orders on their stocks when the market peaks, sparking panic selling among investors. With a few weeks, the stock market lost 10% of the value. So, what caused the dot-com crash? And why did the dot-com bubble burst? The bubble burst when capital began to dry up. I mean... 
nobody nobody was making money so i'm gonna just do an example like this pets.com pets.com was created by julie rainwright which in julie wainwright which i'm surprised about that was her first go round and her second go round which is doing well it's called the railroad which is a fashion consignment shop so she had pets.com she had investors such as jeff bezos who was in baby amazon at that time and as he was doing baby amazon at that time he invested so julie and her team they were making good money but the thing was was that how are we going to get our company out there because you had PetSmart and you had pets.com so with that being said coming out and everything pets.com wanted to have something to reach out to the actual clients the actual um customers so they get this little sock puppet shaped like a dog um that is shaped like a dog and they put all of their money into basically they put all their money into pr and marketing versus the actual finances like okay but are we selling anything okay yeah that's a cute sock puppet but are you selling something or are, are you getting some money in? I see a lot of money going into this little freaking sock puppet. But what are you getting? Nothing? Okay. So, I digress. So, after a while, the only dot com that is still around from that time is E-Trade. Literally. Like, everybody... Like, the dot com boom really burst. Like, let me... There's so many. Okay. So the dot com bus included Napster, uh, GeoCities, Broadcast.com, Shutterfly, Coupons.com. Now, excuse me. Before I even, I'm going to exit that out. 2415. Now, these are the only five sites that, like, surprise, like, actually, these are the only five sites that, um, survived the dot-com bus, which is Amazon, eBay, Booking Holdings, literally Priceline, Shutterfly, and Coupons.com. Now... I'm sorry, I'm trying to find...
Okay, so the companies that were killed during the dot-com bubble, like I said, Pets.com by Julie Wainwright, Webvan.com, Etoys.com, Flues.com, TheGlobe.com, and the ones that survived, Amazon, eBay, Priceline, you know, so that's everybody that had survived and didn't survive. Yeah, that's it. But that's all I have for this episode. That's really it. That's all I have for this episode. Thank you guys for tuning in to a part two of a bonus episode. I will promise I will put out more bonus episodes. And I am going to speak to you guys soon. And thank you for tuning in to another in AOS production. What's it called? Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs>